James, Everyday Faith, James Study, chapter 4. Uh, we are going to look at verses 11 through 17, the last part of James this morning. Um, I'll read it, we'll pray, and we'll jump right in. All right. Do not, I'm starting in verse 11, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this passage that we can open up this morning and look at what James has written. And Lord, we are thankful that your word is living. And God, I ask that this morning as we um, just dig through this passage, may we make it personal in our lives. Um, Lord, may we, if there is even some sin in our lives, may we confess it to you, repent of it, and, and, and Lord, replace it even. And so, God, thank you for this morning to, to have this time together um, to learn and to grow. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you have ever felt judged before? How many of you have ever caused the pain of judgmental words before? Right? I'm sure many of us have done that before. You see, judgment directed towards us, towards maybe what we wear, what we drive, where we live, all those things, that hurts. Um, But what is most hurtful, I believe, is the judgmental words towards our character, even. You see, um, slander or judgmentalism is a problem at home. It's a problem at school. It's a problem even at church. And here in James chapter 4, verse 11 and 12, James is going to explain why it is such a serious problem. So let's look at this. In verse 11, James writes, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. Or you could say against brothers and sisters. So the first thing I want us to see is humility in our speech. You, you know that James talks a lot about the tongue. Uh, just take a guess. What percentage do you think, if we were to count the verses and, and how many verses talk about the tongue, what percentage do you think James talks about the tongue? I hear mumbles. 15%? Okay, close. Seven, no, not 70. What did you say? 25 is close. All right, 20% of the verses in James talks about the tongue. You see, the Bible has a lot to say about how a proud heart with a wicked tongue together hurts others. Uh, in Psalm 50, verse 19 through 20, Psalmist writes, You give your mouth free reign for evil, and your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. And in Psalm 101, 5, 
It says, whoever slanders his neighbor secretly, I will destroy. Whoever has a haughty look and an arrogant heart, I will not endure. And in Leviticus 19.16, you shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You see, we see that the Bible takes this sin of slander, or speaking evil against one another, as James puts it here, very seriously. So when James says, speak evil against one another, what is this? Well, here's some, here's some things that maybe you've heard. Um, it can be slander, judgmentalism, verbal attacks, gossip, false accusations, defaming others, running over others. And all these sins have something in common. They are all exalting of yourself while putting down others around you. And so, I mean, we see this everywhere, right? We see this in social media. Uh, maybe you have been a victim of this, of this defaming. Uh, there are lawyers popping up left and right right now who are saying, hey, have you been defamed on social media? Come to me, I will win a lawsuit for you. It's happening everywhere, this defaming happens. It happens just even in basic life situations that we're in um parenting for example you know it's it's the parents that that might be looking at someone judging the way they do things they might be saying well if only they would do this or i can't believe they are doing that or i would never do it that way and and so on well there are some trigger phrases when said that you can be sure someone is about to speak evil against someone when a phrase starts something like this I like so-and-so, but, or I don't want to say this about them, but, <laughs> right? Well, then don't say it. <laughs> if only they would do this or that, or I've heard this one before, I would even say this if they were right here. Well, let's go get them then, <laughs> right? This, this is all about building oneself up and putting down those around you. So I want to spend a few minutes and try to be really practical about how we handle slander when it comes our way. Um, so, so how do we respond to slander? What you need to do is first derail the speech of slander. So even as you continue to ignore slander and, and refuse to hear it or to be a part of it, people will actually stop coming to you to slander or speak evil against others. So here are some things to be aware of. In a sense, use your radar when you hear this type of speech. And so the first thing is recognize. Recognize the speech for what it is. Ask yourself, does this speech hurt someone? What would this person being talked about think if they were right here? Is there pride in the speech? Does this pride exalt self instead of God exalting which we saw in verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he, that's God, will exalt you. So recognize this speech. Respond. You want to respond correctly to that speech. Stop the conversation and direct them to talk to the person being slandered. Like, have you gone to them? Have you talked to them? Right? That, that's one of the easiest things to say, um, to direct them back to handling the situation correctly. Um, direct this conversation to God's grace and how he has given grace to us all, even to the point of confronting the person in love. 
relate personally to the subject. Like, oh, I've been there myself. Because then all of a sudden that person is like, oh, wait, now I'm actually talking about you <laughs> in this way. Another one is avoid. Avoid slandering the slanderer. Now, what I mean by that is, when it, it, if someone is slandering someone, don't take that and then go to the next person and slander the person who was just slandering, right? Don't go and say, did you hear what they just said about so-and-so, right? Avoid that, right? Be humble. Pride is saying, I'm better than the slanderer. I wouldn't do that. I can't believe they would do that. So how do we avoid becoming the slanderer in our own lives? Well, God's view of yourself, right? Understand how God views you. Realize your own place before God as a sinner saved by grace through faith. Love others by investing into them. Pray for them. But be careful in your prayers, right? Because uh, we can communicate slander even in our own speech as we pray. <laughs> Replace with encouragement. So, so here are some wrong views from the slanderer, okay? Some wrong views from the slanderer. First, we see James talking about the wrong view of law and judgment. Look at verse 11. He says, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. So this wrong view of law and judgment. You see, when we speak against a brother, it exposes in us wrong views of this law. So what is this law James is talking about? Well, in Galatians 5, verse 14, it says, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You see, James also confirms this back in James 2, verse 8. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. See, the law James is referring to is the law of loving others. So listen to what James says about this. He says, you speak here in verse 11, you speak evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. So when you speak against your brother or sister, you are saying, this person does not need my love. They need my judgment. That's what happens. You are throwing out the law of love, and you're saying, they don't need that. They need my judgment. But I, I want us to have the, a balanced view of this, because James is not restricting us from exercising good judgment, okay? You see, he is not forbidding us from forming opinions or actions you see, this is, there's a difference. So sound judgment builds up. Judgmentalism tears down. You see the difference? So we have this wrong view of law and judgment. Also have the wrong view of God. In verse 12, James writes, There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and destroy. Here, James is saying the one who is judging with judgmentalism or tearing down not only judges the law, but they also put themselves above God. They're putting themselves above God when they do this. 
So there's only one lawgiver and one judge, right? He is not saying forget legislators. He's not saying forget government, ignore what they say, though that may be tempting at times. (laughs) But he is saying God's laws are permanent. God's judgment is of eternal weight. So laws are different though, right? From place to place, from country to country, even from state to state. And um, judgments from judges for breaking these laws are also different. But for God, his law is perfect. His judgment is consistent. He is fair and accurate all the time. See, judges may get it right and they may get it wrong, but God gets it right every time. You may be accurate in your judgment of others, but you are wrong when you speak or when your speech is one of judgmentalism because you are tearing someone down to exalt yourself. You are breaking the law of love for others. So when you speak evil against a brother, you are taking the place of God, realizing your position in Christ is important. Don't be so quick to forget your own dependence on God. So we have this wrong view of law and judgment, we have this wrong view of God, and we also have this wrong view of ourselves. When we slander, we have this wrong view of ourselves. In verse 12, the latter part of verse 12, but who are you to judge your neighbor? You know what James is doing here? He's putting us in our place. Um, If you have kids, um, I'm sure you have said something like this. Um, Who made you mom or dad, right? Uh, Just the other day, Kaya opened up the drawer and was trying to pick out the perfect spoon for Kip. And uh, I said, Kaya, here's a spoon. Just take this one. And she would not take it. She kept rustling through the spoons to find the one she thought was perfect for Kip. And immediately I said, Kaya, (laughs) stop. You are not the parent. Right? What I'm doing there is I'm, I'm putting her in her place. And this is what James is doing here to the slander. He's saying, but who are you to judge your neighbor? That's not your place. That's not your job. It's not the task God has given you. He's putting us in our place. And so we have this wrong view of ourselves, thinking, oh, it's my responsibility to judge. It's my responsibility to to say that about this person, but it's not. And now all of a sudden, okay, so we have this wrong view of law and judgment, this wrong view of God, and this wrong view of ourselves. And that's what's happening here when we are slandering or putting down others or speaking evil, as James says, speaking evil against our brothers and sisters. Be careful, right? Many times it's like, well, I need to say something fresh or something new or something exciting. But all you're doing is tearing others down and building yourself up. Be humble with your speech. And then James now is going to transition us, okay? He's going to transition us to about our plans. And so here, James wants to see this humility for future plans, or our future plans even. And the first thing that James is going to show us is is something about ourselves that 
we don't know, or you don't know. Look at verse 13 through 14. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. Humility acknowledges that we are not omniscient. We don't know everything. Now, we do have our day planners, right? Or our calendars, our to-do lists, things like that. And James is not condemning these things. James is not condemning planning. In Proverbs 21, verse 5, I want you to listen to this. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. And in 24, verse 27 in Proverbs, prepare your work outside. Get everything ready for yourself in the field. And after that, build your house. Proverbs 6, 3, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. You see, we need to make plans, but don't put your rest or security in those plans. Instead, acknowledge you don't know everything. Um, When I was a a freshman in high school, I was on the football team and I love football. I, I love watching football. I love playing football. And um, it was my first year out. We, we made it through our first game. Um, we played a, a really good team. And then the first day of practice, we're out. And um, we, we begin to do some tackling drills. And in the tackling drills, one of our players was running. He, he beat two guys, and it was just me left. And I ended up tackling him. And, uh, but, but the way I landed on him, it was really weird. It was like my abdomen hit kind of his hip pad, and, and immediately I was like, the wind's knocked out of me, right? But I was like, wait, I'm breathing? Something else is wrong here. <laughs> uh, what's going on? So I lay off to the side, and um, so Nick, he used to play football at Maranatha. Um, they were not good at all. <laughs> Is that slander? <laughs> Is that judgmentalism? <laughs> uh, I played soccer at Maranatha. They made fun of us, but at least we won. And <laughs> this is bad. Okay. And, um, and so as football players, you know, like you see a guy down, you're like, come on, be tough, right? Get up. I'm laying there. The, the varsity team's coming over. They're kind of looking at me like, what's going on, man? Like, get up. What's the deal? Like, well, come to find out, um, my spleen ruptured and uh, went to urgent care, sat there for like, you know, hour and a half before I saw the doctor. Doctor's like, uh, and, and this is the, the weird thing. My dad was with me. And so the doctor's like, does he normally look this pale? Wrong question to ask my dad. He is not observant of these things. I mean, my mom would have been like, something's wrong. My dad's like, life goes on. And, uh, and so we're like, okay, got it. He's pale. All right, go the, he's like, go to the hospital, get a CAT scan. Go to the hospital, get a CAT scan. And they took my blood pressure laying down. It was really low. I stood up, and they took my blood pressure, and it was 64 over 46. I mean, I should have been dead, right? Next thing I know, the emergency team is in. The surgeon comes in, and she's like, she owned a ranch. She comes in, like, really just dirty looking because she just came off the ranch. She, she was on call that day. Full leg cast, you know, I'm like, okay, what's going on here? Am I going to survive this? 
And uh, she basically gave options. One, we can, we can wait it out, see what happens. Two, we can um, remove the spleen entirely. Or three, we can try to save the spleen. And at this point, they believed I had lost a gallon of blood internally. Okay? I, so my dad, once again, why is my dad here? He says, what if we wait it out? <laughs> Thanks, Dad. Uh, the surgeon basically said at that moment, it, no, we're not waiting it out. Sorry, it's not going to happen. Um, we, we need to go. And he's like, okay, hey, well, go in and say, try to save it. So immediately I was rushed to the emergency room. Come to find out I had maybe an hour left to live, if that. Um, and, uh, and so I, I went through the surgery and, you know. Um, but, but I tell you this story because come to find out, my dad didn't tell me this for a few years, and now I know why. But he said um, that very day, he worked out his entire planner. What's going to go on that day? What's going to happen that day? I mean, it's color-coded, right? I mean, he spent time, to, if you know my dad, to color-code something. I mean, we're talking, this is like a big deal. So he's color-coding his planning. And guess what? My spleen rushing was not on his schedule. <laughs> right? I said, Dad, why do I have to be the object lesson here? Why do I have to be used for you to learn, Dad? But, you know, that's just how it goes. We try to plan, and we try to schedule, and we try to make all these great things, and we think we've got this down, and I know what's going to happen. We're going to do this, and we're going to accomplish this, and we will. And then God says, whoa, time out. I've got another plan for you. I've got something else. You need to learn something. And so here... We see this, we plan, we do this, but there is actually this sense of arrogance, of pride saying, I'm going to do this, I will accomplish this, this is how it will happen. And then when it doesn't happen, sometimes we freak out. But you know what, you know what's what's assuring, what's encouraging? God's still on his throne, right? He didn't step off while your plans didn't work out according to your timing and your desires. God's still in control. And so then James, so he here is talking about we don't know. Then he also says life is short. Look at the end part of verse 14. For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Your life is a mist. Um... At the Oregon coast, we, we have a lot of cliffs and rocks, and, and, and as the waves will come and crash up against those rocks, the waves splash up, right? And there's that mist, and there it is, and then it's gone. Our life is like a mist. I, I feel like the older I get, the more I sense, wow, time is flying. Anyone else feel that way? <laughs> some of you, yeah, some of you who are like ancient, I mean that in the most respectful way, <laughs> just kidding uh, no but the older we get it always feels like wow where did time go how do I have grandkids I don't right but you know you might be thinking how do I have grandkids or great grandkids now where did it go it's a mist see James is trying to make a point here humility recognizes life is short so what is your life on this earth about 
You see, he's diverting our attention away from ourself. What can I pursue, right? We studied that last week. What can I pursue? What will bring fulfillment in my life? What, what must I get or what must I do while I live? But he, he diverts it from ourself and he, he, and he brings it right back to God and eternity. You see, it matters here and now, not for our temporal pleasure, but for God's eternal inheritance. Life is short. And then he says, there needs to be this dependence on Christ. Look at verse 15 and 16. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. You see, humility is acknowledging our dependence on Christ. We need God for everything. This is how we acknowledge it. By saying, if the Lord wills, we will do this or that. Yeah, we make plans, and it's good to make plans, but we need to depend on the Lord for everything about those plans. If the Lord wills, that's what he says, if the Lord wills. It's not a magical phrase or a formula to every script of our lives. You see, it's not that we have to say Lord willing every single time we speak about it, some future plan. James is saying we have to think and live and acknowledge that our plans are in his hands, right? It's this dependence on Christ, acknowledging that he's in control. And James is revealing that we so often forget how God holds all of our lives together. You see, you weren't created to just parent full-time. You weren't created to go to your desk job or job site every morning You are made to do these things with thoughts and attitudes and words that reveal the true and living God to others. And then do parenting and desk job and job site. Who gave you breath, right? Who gave you breath? Who gave you the experiences you have to help you in your job? Who did all of this? It's the Lord. We are dependent on him. Everything about you came from his will to be used for his will. And finally, you don't know. Life is short. Dependence on Christ. Knowledge is not enough. Look at verse 17. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. You might be thinking, what is this here for? It doesn't seem to fit, but actually it's what it's all about. Sin is described in the Bible two ways. Doing something God has commanded us to do and not doing something God has commanded us to do. So here James is telling us what God is commanding us to do with plans. How we are to depend on God every day. All right, think about how we live each and every day. Is it a true dependence on God? Are we taking our plans and trying to do it without God? You don't need to vocalize if the Lord wills every time, but, but you need to internalize it every time. Dependence on God is the right thing to do with those who don't, but, um, 
sorry, dependence on God is the right thing to do, and those who don't do it, it is sin. You see, knowledge is not enough. You need to not just hear what James is saying here and go your way. Now that you know this truth, you are responsible for living out this truth. So when he says, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. We have a responsibility to do what God has asked us to do. There is, I I think many times we we can look at this and say, all right, I've got it, we can do this. Um, and even in our lives, we can say, oh, here's, here's the plan, or here's even God's plan. I mean, even yesterday, I was driving back from um, South Jordan, and I was hungry, didn't get lunch. It was two o'clock at the time. Stopped to get lunch, and as I got my lunch, I was heading home, and I don't know, maybe a couple miles down the road, the, my lunch spilled out of my container, all over. And, and it wasn't like all over my lap, <laughs> unfortunately, because then I could have gone caveman and just like eaten it off my lap. I would have been fine with that. But no, it had to spill right between that crevice where you know, the autumn and the cedars, right? <laughs> and, and it wasn't just any lunch. This was my Panda Express chow mein noodles, oily, right? Right between crammed in there, I, I, I couldn't even look. <laughs> I couldn't. I didn't plan for that. My plan was to enjoy lunch and fill my belly with food. But no, here it is now, stuck between my car, and now my car will smell like Panda Express for the next few years. <laughs> and, and even something as simple as that, as silly as that, we still try to control what's going on in our lives and, and plan and forget what God has said. You know, there will be some things like that that will happen, right? We've all experienced things like that. There'll also be some hard things. You know, I, it could be, God has a plan for my life to do this or that, you might think, and then a child dies or a spouse dies. Greg Tonkinson I was actually, heard of him speak yesterday, and he was saying how he felt God had this plan for his life. And it was one night in 2010, he gets a knock on his door, and the door opens up, and there's a police officer, a chaplain, and a child worker. And uh, the officer said, um, hey, can we come in? And, and they did, and, and he, he described it as, it just seemed like a, a a movie was happening at this point. And the officer said his wife's name. He's like, yep, that's my wife. He's like, she died tonight in a car accident. And, and the one thing that stuck out in my mind that Greg was saying in his life was he, said, he kept saying, I thought God had this plan for my life. I thought this was the plan. He also said, it seems like faith can be so easily said, but when it's tested in something so dramatic as this, it is really challenging. But it was encouraging hearing him say, but God showed himself faithful. We, we don't know. Life is short. 
We need to have a dependence on Christ. Knowledge is not enough. It's time to go and live with the mindset and the heart of God is in control. He controls the plans. I will submit to that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Again, just being able to open your word, and we are so thankful for it. And Lord, as we see about our plans and how we make them in arrogance at times, God, may it challenge our heart to say, no, my plans are not about me, but I will humble to what you have for our life. And then, Lord, may we live that out because now we know. May we walk this journey, this life that you have given to us with an eternal mindset, understanding you are in control, God. And so may we submit to that. Lord, thank you for being the the true and living God who is seated on the throne. No one can replace you. May we find encouragement and comfort in that. In Christ's name, amen.